if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. On AM 1420, The Answer. Yes, indeed. Nine minutes after the hour. Thanks for being with us as hour number two is underway. It is a Tuesday, the eighth morning of the twelfth month of the year of our Lord 2020, and that makes it a great day because Tuesday is Kersenow Day. Peter Kersenow joins us now from the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He is an attorney in Cleveland. He is a best-selling author. He's a columnist sometimes for National Review, and he is the host of the Kersenow Report on AM 1420, The Answer. Pete, good morning. Good morning, Bob. Great day to be an American. Yeah, uh, I suppose it always is. Uh, it always the... is a great day to be an American. Yeah. Exactly right, right, even when they're trying to steal America from you. <laughs> and despite all of the uh, horrific things about America that the left wants you to believe, despite its racism, despite its social injustice, despite its uh, privilege, despite its supremacy and all of the rest. Uh, yeah, I think it's a great day to be an American. That's why millions of them put their lives on the line to get here every single year despite all of our faults and flaws, they say. All right, Pete, let's dive right into this. There's a lot of ground to cover, um, and I do want to start with the election and the challenges. Um, Every state judge that has heard one of these cases has kicked it, um, with the exception of one in Pennsylvania, but then it kicked it in the the appeals, uh, in the appeals at the appellate level. Um, This has long been targeted for the supreme court and and i and even sydney powell's released the kraken lawsuits um fell flat yesterday both were kicked out of georgia and michigan courts respectively um is this our last best chance the state of texas on tuesday filed an election lawsuit in the supreme court against pennsylvania georgia michigan and wisconsin alleging that the state's unconstitutionally changed election laws treated voters unequally and triggered significant voting irregularities by relaxing ballot integrity measures this is the uh, suit that ted cruz has offered to argue before the supreme court on behalf of the petitioner the plaintiff uh... the state of texas if it gets there i would love that i think he is a brilliant litigator and a brilliant orator um, and nobody would do better, but I still am very, very, very uh, pessimistic, I will, about the uh, potential outcome of, of this litigation as well. How do you see it, Peter? Yeah, Bob, well, you know, your pessimism is probably justified based on the results we've seen thus far, 
but not based on this lawsuit necessary. And I concur with Ted Cruz. First, caveats. Understand that I've not read every decision for every one of these challenges. So I don't know all the bases for it. I've read at least one. And I assume it's sui generis. It's particular to that particular state. Uh, I have read a lot about the Sidney uh, Powell lawsuit. I, in fact, I read the entire complaint. Um, but each one is different. Each court is, is different because they're applying uh, their state statutes, for example, or state uh, uh, precedent. So it's difficult to assess each one without doing a deep dive. Now, having said that, um, I always believed that the Pennsylvania lawsuit had the greatest probability of prevailing on the merits because it's pretty plain. That is, uh, Pennsylvania's Constitution requires in-person voting, and the legislature purported to amend the Constitution without... No, well, they didn't purport to amend the Constitution. They simply passed a law that did not formally amend the Constitution, adopt the procedures and protocols to do so, and they allowed mail-in ballots, which we know were a gigantic debacle. The dead were voting, people double voted, people outside the state voted, people with impossible addresses voted, etc., etc., etc. But they permitted the, there was a a lawsuit challenging that, and of course, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, 5-2 Democratic majority, uh, uh, had dismissed that based on a doctrine known as latches, which is a doctrine that's rarely applied. What that basically means for your audience is that, hey, you filed too late. You waited too late uh, to file. And there's a, a lot of different uh, touch points to determine whether or not a particular lawsuit is late or uh, is not ripe in certain cases, but it's been applied in a haphazard fashion in Pennsylvania. But more importantly is this, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court said, okay, you guys filed this challenge too late, meaning it was after the election, and now to overturn an election would work an incredible injustice and would deprive people of their franchise in Pennsylvania. The problem is that, number one, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, if you take a look at the cases describing the doctrine of Lanches, is all over the map, number one. But more importantly is this, they placed plaintiffs, that is the the, uh, Trump folks in an impossible, in a catch-22, because in previous cases, Pennsylvania has said, you know what, Uh, you don't have plaintiffs standing to bring this action at this time. In other words, you cannot bring an action before the election because you don't have standing, you haven't been able to show injury. Now they say you should have brought it before the election, otherwise it would be too late. So in other words, what the Supreme Court is saying is you have no remedy in the state of Pennsylvania when there is election fraud. In other words, if the frauds are sufficient to to affect the outcome of the election, there is absolutely no remedy, and the perpetrators of the fraud win. Now, that's, I think, why Ted Cruz views this particular lawsuit as one having uh, the greatest probability of prevailing at the Supreme Court. Now, remember, um, Again, not having read all of the different decisions and not casting aspersions on the judicial system or the courts, but we all know judges are human beings. Judges also have biases. Some of those are political biases. And also judges, an individual judge sitting in his chambers somewhere in northern Virginia is going to be petrified 
to overturn an election, especially one that could affect the outcome of a presidential election, where millions of people voted. Um, those are the realities. I, I don't know if that went into the decision-making process, but you would be sticking your head in the sand to say that that couldn't have had any kind of a, a, a bearing on the outcome. So we've had numerous anomalies here. The question is whether or not the president's campaign can prevail at the Supreme Court with Pennsylvania. If it can do so, and I think, you know, despite what's happened in Georgia, there's still a very good chance, Georgia and other places, that they could prevail. But the Texas lawsuit that you mentioned, again, I've not read the, the complaint. I've read about the complaint. I've not been able to find it online, um, uh, at least to this point. <clears throat> But what they are saying, essentially, I believe, is there's an equal protection challenge. In other words, because certain individuals or certain states permitted certain types of voting that were unlawful, it deprived others who voted lawfully of their franchise. In other words, one vote and a lawful vote cancels out a lawful vote. And I think Ted Cruz thinks that I don't want to put words into his mouth, but I think he thinks that there is some real legitimacy to it. And look, I, uh, you know, I, I heard your intro with respect to Ted Cruz. Um, Ted Cruz is a senator, so people tend to dismiss senators as people who have partisan interests, and he does. But he is <laughs> an amazing Supreme Court advocate. He's argued a number of cases, including the Heller case. Uh, he knows what he's doing. He's one of the best lawyers in the country. So, you know, I'm an eternal optimist, Bob, and I know I'm rambling with respect to this, but um, I think that you take a cold, hard look at this and say that, you know, the president's got a significant uphill battle, but the battle's not over, and there are two components to it. Again, this particular lawsuit, and maybe others, but also the state legislators under Section uh, Article 2, Section 1. And I think that's where much of the effort has been directed. In other words, to prevail upon the various state legislatures, most of which, or su uh, sufficient number of which, are in the hands of Republicans to determine the outcome of the election, that there is uh, such uncertainty because of the fraud that we have seen. It's inarguable that, that there was fraud. Inarguable. As we talked about last week, though, it's not what you know, it's what you can prove, difficult to prove, but if you... As, can persuade the state legislators that there was enough shenanigans going on that they can't legitimately certify the outcome of the election, then they take matters into their own hands constitutionally. Now, the problem there is, of course, you know, uh, there's going to be a huge outcry, but would you rather violate the Constitution, permit there to be a fraud, have a an in, in, in illegitimate presidential administration in place, or will you take the consequences of the overturn? That is probably going to be a lot of uh, unrest. Yeah, more and than also, an outcry, more than more more than an outcry and an unrest, Pete. This I talked about this in the first hour. Um, in, when you when you first started your 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 response, um, you said the reason for my pessimism is probably the past state uh, judge decisions and it's not the reason for my pessimism is i don't believe necessarily that there will be a judge that is willing to say that after six weeks of transition which is what the biden and democrat team have done we're naming cabinet members we're naming chief of staff we're doing all of these things to say this there's a new sheriff in town i don't know that there's going to be a judge or a justice 
that is willing to say, yeah, cast all of that aside. You, you guys cheated. We got four more years of Orange Man bad. Because it won't be just unrest or an outcry. It will be, as I've said to you before, um, it will be America on fire. Um, what we saw in Portland, Seattle, Minneapolis, Chicago, and on down the line in response to the George Floyd situation will look like the Avon Duct Tape Festival. It will look like the neighborhood carnival in which everybody is riding rides and having a good time compared to what happens. And I don't know that specifically in the Supreme Court, if the latest and newest Supreme Court Justice, Amy Coney Barrett, is going to want to cast that vote. Um, not to say that they will cast the Constitution aside, but, man, it's going to take some incredible courage to do that, Pete, because it's more than just an outcry. America will burn like it's never I, burned I, I before. Agree, I agree, Bob, but I think we do have at least five justices on the Supreme Court who do have that courage. Mm. Uh, I really sincerely believe that. I, I mean, look, we could almost right now say which way the vote would go on the Supreme Court. All right, it's, it's an extraordinary thing to say, but I think that's true. I do Much too. more important, I mean, do, do we say, okay, we are going to scrap the Constitution, we're going to permit fraud, we're going to have an illegitimate presidency because we're afraid that there are going to be some broken windows. And I don't mean to diminish the potential rioting and, and, and so forth, but we're talking about the integrity of the United States of America. And I would hope that we would have individuals with enough intestinal fortitude as, oh, look, we just... I do, too. I hope so, too. December 7th was December 7th. We had a lot of folks who've put their lives on the line to preserve this Constitution. I happen to think that we do have individuals on the Supreme Court that if it is, if there's merit to the lawsuit, they will uphold the Constitution and do the right thing. I hope you're right, Peter Kirsten. Now, we got a lot more for you coming up after this time out on AM 1420, The Answer. Leave your body at the door. Leave your body and soul at the door. Ten twenty-five. now back with Peter Kirsten now joining me on AM 1420, The Answer. Pete, I want to stay on the elections real quick before we get to law and repercussions, ramifications of our decisions in these elections. Uh, but I want to do- go down to Georgia and um, kind of get your latest thoughts on on the steal down there and the extraordinary importance of not allowing the theft of the state of Georgia from Donald Trump uh, to also rewarding the Democrats in the runoff elections. Uh, I told you last week, in fact, you and I talked about this, and I know you've seen it in other places, that some Trump supporters, including Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood, have been openly advocating for Georgia voters to demand that Brian Kemp and uh, Secretary of State Raffensperger do more to, and the two candidates, Purdue and Leffler, do more to publicly support the Trump challenge of the Georgia results, or uh, Georgia voters should sit out and not vote for those two candidates. President Trump clarified the reality of this on Saturday. <laughs> If you don't vote, the socialists and the communists win. They win. Georgia patriots must show up and vote for these two incredible people. And Georgia voters must show up and vote for Leffler and Purdue. You don't, you know, it's this. This is just so much insanity, Peter. Where there is a belief that one man, our president, is bigger than the presidency. Better yet, is bigger than the country. Even Donald Trump clarified that and said, no, you do not let communists and socialists win. You get out there and you save the Senate. Uh, do you think they're listening? I do think they're listening. Um, look, Donald Trump has got the biggest megaphone in the world, and 
there's a good percentage of Georgians who've never even heard of, for all due, res- all due respect to them, Sidney Powell or Lynn Wood. So whatever they say has very little, um, I think, persuasive force compared to a Donald Trump. Having said that, of course, the Democrats are seizing upon that and trying to make as much hay as they can out of it. Bottom line here is the president, of course, and the rest of us who have been alarmed by what could happen in Georgia have got it exactly right. And I think that the residents of the state of Georgia understand what's at stake. The question is, are there enough of them to overcome the fraud? The concern, I think, should be not so much how persuasive is Linwood and Sidney Powell with respect to uh, all of this. It's um, really whether or not the state of Georgia, the Secretary of State's office, the governor's office, have been on top of this thing sufficiently. I mean, they they ran a, by all intents and purposes, a loosey-goosey election down there that permitted a lot of anomalies to occur. And I'm being very, very circumspect in my description of it because I know most of your listeners have already seen that videotape that is inexplicable. You, you know, all the fact checkers in the world cannot explain your, to what your lying eyes are telling you. That is, that there's something very peculiar going on. Everybody leads. There are a number of lies that were told by these elections officials to observers. And then, you know, the observers disappear. And all of a sudden, they start counting like crazy. And during that period, when they checked the spike, it was like 96% of all ballots, I don't know, maybe it was 94% of all votes were cast for Biden. It was just, just completely inexplicable things going on. You'd have to be suspend uh, disbelief entirely to believe that nothing uh, untoward went on. That's the concern. Sure. Have they? Do they have a, la- a handle on the voting process? Because Republicans, unfortunately, and again, here we are, the stupid party, uh, over the last couple of years, the Democrats have been busy as can be, assiduously changing voting rules, expanding mail-in balloting, doing all kinds of things to loosen the integrity of elections. And here we are now trying to unbury ourselves from what I'd say, the one poll I I saw said 47% of all Americans, including more than 70% of Republicans, believe that the the question of the election integrity is up in the air at best. I'm putting that thing very, 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 very circumspect. It, they believe that yes. there was fraud. Uh, so it, we're, we're still in a position where we haven't put into place the controls necessary, but given that, the Secretary of State's office in Georgia better redouble their efforts to make sure that they preserve an election integrity. Yeah, Pete, I could not agree more. They really have to do that. But again, you know, I think... Um Former Trump uh, supporter and turned enemy, Ann Coulter, said it best. Yes, the Democrats are going to cheat in the runoff election, just like they did in the presidential election, and we have to beat them anyway. It's that simple. Yes, do we need to fix the elections uh, process down there? Yes, do we need that election integrity you just spoke of? Absolutely. Is it going to be there in time for January 5th? Probably not. Do we need to go out there and beat them anyway with an overwhelming, resounding victory that covers their cheating? And I think also Newt Gingrich phrased it this way, Pete, and you'll probably agree. Uh, the Republican turnout needs to be bigger so that they can generate more votes than the Democrats and Stacey Abrams can steal. And that, and, and I think that's it. There, you know, there is going to be theft. There is going to be shenanigans. There's going to be this, that, and the other thing. And we need to beat them anyway because it's right. that important for the future of this republic. Uh, Pete, we'll talk uh, a little bit more. I've got some other re- issues involving the law that I want you to uh, uh, teach us on coming up right after this. AM 1420, The Answer. Democrat. 
complete. You have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. And uh, we continue now at 1035 on this Tuesday morning with Peter Kirsten, now kind enough to stick around for a third segment with us. And with good reason, Pete, I want to do um, I wanted to dive into some criminal law or the decriminalization of certain uh, criminal activity. Now, this is a California story, Peter, but I bring it up because it's leftism at its finest. It's what we are inviting to Ohio and to, you know, the country at large with a Joe Biden, Kamala Harris presidency, a Joe Biden selected attorney general, et cetera. You know, we talk about or they talk about defunding the police, et cetera, you know, et cetera. Um, this is um, new Los Angeles County District Attorney George Gascon or Gascon has issued a directive to the prosecutors in his office that the following crimes will be declined for prosecution with exemptions. But essentially, these are no longer crimes. This is this is decriminalization of trespassing, disturbing the peace, driving without a license, prostitution. Resisting arrest. A couple of other ones of note, criminal threats and drug possession. Being under the influence of a controlled substance. Public intoxication. So, Pete, some of these are moderately benign, I guess you could say. Some of them are very, very disturbing. Now, any individual who doesn't believe that they should be arrested for whatever it is that the police officer has decided to arrest them for may resist without charge, without fear of prosecution, prostitution, and the spreading of unbelievable amounts of disease, promoting drug use, promoting more abortions, etc. That shall also be legal in Los Angeles County. Disturbing the peace, trespassing. Apparently I can go into the gym at 3 a.m. and work out if I want to, even if it's not open, because uh, I'm not going to be found guilty of trespassing pete my concern as i say is not about los angeles county i don't live there but this is what is coming when you bring in the progressive left and you give them more power this is what is this is what we are all doomed to face your thoughts yeah and you're right it's look uh if it were confined just to la um maybe we would give it a pass i wouldn't because la despite as nutty as it is as part of the united states of america we can't allow this to occur anywhere because it's a cancer it grows it's happening in new york also because we've seen what de blasio has done we've seen it in um minnesota in minneapolis they're doing the same thing seattle's doing something similar to that uh, this is extraordinarily troubling the, the fact that we're even talking about it shows us that um this is some type of creeping insanity that's going on. Normal people, if just a few years ago you had addressed this with them and said, hey, what about decriminalizing all these things? They'd say you have to be nuts because people understand uh, some version of the broken windows theory. Uh, that is, if you break a window and leave it unrepaired, the odds that the other windows on that building are going to be broken in short order increase exponentially, whereas if you repair it immediately or if you clean up the garbage or something like that, the place is going to remain in good shape. Uh, and this is one aspect of it. Now, 70 to 80 percent of all crimes in L.A. consist of what you've just des- described. Um, and it's going to I- exacerbate the prevalence of not just those crimes, but of, quote-unquote, higher level or more, quote-unquote, serious crimes, that's inevitable. We saw that 
with respect to uh, New York City when de Blasio started abandoning many of the reforms that have been put in place by Giuliani and perpetuated by Bloomberg. And we're going to be having dystopias all over the place, and they're going to say, how did we come to this? Without getting into conspiracy theories, first of all, I do think that the left sincerely, you know, the true believers believe that these things should be decriminalized because they think these are all type of class crimes as opposed to, quote unquote, real crimes. Nonetheless, some by class, smarter, Pete, Pete, if I may, by class, you mean what? I mean that they're looking at lower to um, the lowest income classifications now a lot of this is identity politics also because that's what that's what i wanted to clarify with you when you said class you don't necessarily mean just in terms of poverty class you mean minorities you mean this is right because this is an attempt to to uh, you know again advance quote-unquote racial justice we're not going to arrest people who commit these crimes because the majority of these crimes are committed by minorities but even that bob is just a trojan horse it's a mechanism to impose um their economic view of society the use of race is the camel's nose under the tent all the time on the part of the left they use this they, you know, they've been writing about this forever and ever and ever and now they're very close to achieving fruition of their aims that is they're using race because americans are good people they want to make sure that we have an egalitarian society you know equal justice under the law so whenever there's a claim of racism americans react you know and react immediately because we are a good people as opposed to the, what the left is saying there is no systemic racism in 2020 are there racists yes are there race is there racial discrimination sure there is but not systemic racism but they use that as a mechanism to drive a wedge into america so they can impose these socialistic programs and that's precisely what's going on it's a version of the old you know, clower piven strategy to put enough stress on the system that it necessarily either implodes or certain socialist reforms need to be put into place in order to address it. And it actually then makes it even worse. James Q. Wilson talked about, a number of people have talked about this, but what we've got right now is a serious challenge, the most serious challenge, and I can remember at least in my lifetime, to the rule of law and an order in this country. You cannot have a United States of America that has no enforcement of these types of laws. And, you know, they, they call them, you know, lifestyle or quality of life crimes. Yeah, we want to have a good quality of life. But as I said, if you permit prostitution, the next thing, it's a slippery slope. I know that's a disfavored term because the left doesn't want you to use that very real and demonstrably true term. But it's a very slippery slope to saying, okay, if we do this, then it's not so much of a leap to say that maybe, you know, certain types of burglaries or home invasions should be permitted. And in fact, many people are saying that you're seeing in certain places like Seattle, this move by people just to take over people's houses, you know, with impunity. And you've got, it's extraordinary. We've got elected officials who tell cops, well, you know, uh, don't respond to those kinds of crimes. Extraordinary. We we need to make sure that elected officials... Yeah, it's it, it, this is something that is a challenge to civilization. It goes beyond the United States of America and the Constitution and the rule of law. It's a challenge to civilization, and normal people need to put a stop of it. And let, if you care about preserving just a semblance of quality of life for your kids, you better make sure that these types of crimes 
are prosecuted, that the rule of law is applied equally, and there's no doubt about that, but the fact of the matter is simply because certain demographics engage in these types of crimes at a greater rate doesn't mean that that's an expression of systemic racism or some type of inequality. That means that the social mechanisms that result in that need to be adjusted, and we've got a whole host of information related to how we do that, but the left gets it wrong every time, and they get it wrong purposely. That's the thing you have to remember. We, you know, conservatives think, you know, we want to give everyone the benefit of the doubt that they're operating in good faith. No, there's a lot of folks, and I'm not saying the left is doing this, I'd say 90% of the left is not operating in bad faith, but there's that 10% that's got the money, the power, and the strategy that is operating in bad faith. We've seen it. We have seen it. The exposition of it has been very clear during this election. We've got to believe it. And until we believe that stuff that is that is in mass among conservatives and start to move and resist against this kind of incursion on the um, American way of life, we're going to lose. Mm-hmm. This is part of the strategy. Pete, Pete speaking of... Um uh, you know, racial issues, racial justice, and so forth, the things that we were part of what we were just talking about. I have to ask you about this one. Um, this one comes uh, from a personal place for you. Uh, it comes from your alma mater. Um, explain this to me. At Cornell University, students who are of color are to be exempted from the university's mandate that all students get a flu shot. Students who identify as black, indigenous, or a person of color may have personal concerns about fulfilling the compact requirements based on historical injustices and current events, explains Cornell Health's vaccine requirement FAQ. More specifically, Pete, we, <laughs> we rec- I can't even read that. We recognize that due to long-standing systemic racism and health inequities in this country, individuals from some marginalized communities may have concerns about needing to agree to such requirements. For example, historically, the bodies of black, indigenous, and other people of color have been mistreated and used by people in power, sometimes for profit or medical gain. End quote. So therefore, black individuals at Cornell and other, you know, BIPOC at Cornell don't have to be subjected to the same uh, health standards as everybody else. Pete, I, I, I almost have nothing here because anything that I say is probably going to put a license in jeopardy. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you have? <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing. I, I, there, there's so much to say, and there's and, and there's much that needn't be said because your audience is smart enough to recognize insanity when they see it and merely because it comes from the Ivy League doesn't exempt it from being in the category of insane. It is. Many of the most the nuttiest things you're going to see out there, the nuttiest propositions, unfortunately come from the Ivy League and our elite institutions including my alma mater. And I get these emails all the time and I still am on a uh, email list with about 80 of my former college football teammates 99.9% of which are like you and me, Bob, they're conservative and they look and they're appalled and they expect that I'm going to do something about it. <laughs> you know? So, so I, I, from time to time, have forays into uh, what's going on at Cornell. But you know, look, uh, it's it's like have you and your right? have you and your former mates, uh, Pete, have you and your former teammates uh, discussed the English department there yet and its uh, new name? A month ago, no. Cornell University changed the English department to the 
Department of Literatures in English to challenge yeah. structural forms of racism. Yeah, it, the English all, department say, is racist because it's it, the English. Sorry, yeah, God. Yeah, yeah, that, that's nutty, 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 nutty stuff. I say again to your audience, and I will debate anybody, anywhere, anytime, and I'll even put a bounty on it. There's no such thing as systemic racism in the United States of America in 2020. Period. Full stop. End of story. And anyone who says that is either dumb or lying. Okay. Without equivocation. It's that clear. So whenever you see that term anywhere, you know you're being buffaloed. Be very clear about that. I think your audience knows that. But they have to stand firm because it's easy to cow people into thinking that, oh, my goodness. You know, because Americans are good. Americans understand that we've had a legacy of discrimination in this country. And Americans want to dispel that, to get rid of it, eradicate it completely in the main. I mean, there's always going to be a few in 330 million people that don't. But this is an attempt on the part of the left to shame you, to embarrass you, to put you on your heels. Don't let them do it. This is the nuttiest thing imaginable. And simply because, again, look to the Ivy League for the ultimate expression in insanity. That's where it is coming from. And I hate to say that. Yeah, it's my alma mater. And, you know, there's a lot of Ivy Leaguers out there who are embarrassed or shamed. And merely because it's coming from those places doesn't mean we should uh, assume it to be true or to accept it at all. Reject it wholesale, please. Pete, that, that may be the nuttiest thing you've heard in a while, but I'm going to see if I can one-up it. And this has nothing to do with race. This is coming back home, and this has to do with our uh, coronavirus restrictions in the state of Ohio. Did you wrestle, Pete, in the winters when you were playing football in the falls? No, no, I didn't. Okay. I didn't. For some reason, I thought you did. Um, you certainly could have. Anyway, um, you know that the the deal that all of the high school athletes are facing right now obviously a lot of schools including my son was limited to six football games this past fall because of the coronavirus restrictions and now they're dealing with winter most basketball conferences and uh, programs are uh, delaying the start of their season because of this well the OHSAA, OHSAA and stop me if you heard this already has decided what to do about wrestling the OHSAA has decided wrestling can go on Kids can indeed get in each other's faces and grab and literally, I think in a t- typical wrestling match, 100% of, a, of a, a competitor's skin is up against 100% of the other person's skin at some point during the match. Uh, it's just about as close contact as a sport can be, right? Well, following the guidance of the Ohio Department of Health, Pete, wrestling may go on, but the competitor's may not shake hands before nor after the match for fear of spreading yeah, the coronavirus. You know, you, you know, 40 years ago when, <laughs> Woody, Allen that peak, yeah, when, when Woody Allen was at his peak, he would have come up with something like that. You know, But here we are in 2020, we have allegedly sane people coming up with these types of uh, on-their-face ridiculous uh, rules and strategies. I, w- the, one day, 10 years from now, I hope it's sooner than that, we're going to look back. I hope we're able to look back. I hope we haven't been so mentally corrupted. And look back and say, what happened? What ha- was some form of mass insanity descended over the world? It wasn't the p- coronavirus. It's some other kind of virus because it's expressing itself in so many ways. But, hey, Bob, in the United States of America, we've got a substantial cohort of conservatives who, even if our elected officials don't stand firm for us, we will nonetheless push back and use our own brains, our own fortitude to forge the correct path, and that's what we're going to do. That's what the America as still constituted permits us to do, and we should exercise that. But 
need to be vigilant because the insanity appears to be coming from every angle. We have to battle it at all turns. So I don't know what to say about it. No, you you said it well, and you're right. There are a lot of us who are willing to fight it, and uh, and God God speed to those of us who do. Peter Kersenow, thank you, my friend. Great stuff as always. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Bob. That's Kersenow for a Tuesday, and uh, as it is now ten fifty one, we'll take our final time out. Come right back, and uh, maybe try to squeeze in a few more phone calls before the top of the hour in the end of the broadcast. Right here on the Authority. Okay, I guess we are back and ready to go. It is 10.54. Let's see if we can get a couple of phone calls in here before the top of the hour on this Tuesday. And let's see if this is my old friend, United, in Cleveland, whose voice I have not heard on the airwaves in far, 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 far too long. United, good morning, sir. How you doing, Bob? It is you. All right. I thought maybe it was a typo up there for a second, because I don't see your name up here anymore, my man. Where you been? Busy. Busy, I understand. Yeah, we all are in this particular day and age, my friend. I'm sorry. Go ahead. What's on your mind? Yeah, my voice is, uh, I got it laryngitis, so I probably won't be able to understand me too well. So but I'm just so. wondering, I'm wondering if uh, there is a way to to uh, upend a certain legislation or process by the fact that it's illegal. Uh, our founders didn't miss a beat when they when they when they uh, wrote the Constitution. They didn't miss a beat, and they they uh, covered everything. Morality, based on what they thought was necessary for a law to be legal, it's sort of hard to explain. Yeah, I, I I understand what you just said about what our founders did when they wrote the Constitution, including including morality among the decisions that they made. But I'm not sure what the question is. You say something about upending the a law, or did I misunderstand that? Well, the, the election results—if they cheated, that's not legal. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. Right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. That is very true. Certainly. On that basis alone, that's enough to turn it over. Um, yeah, well, just simply, you know, listen, what you're saying right now, I think, is a shorter version of what I said a few days ago, United, and thank you for that. I hope you feel better. I hope your voice gets better, and you call me back as soon as it does. Thank you, my friend. It's good to hear from you. I think what you just said is, look, cheating is illegal, and therefore it should be punished, meaning the the outcome should be altered because somebody cheated. That's a shorter version of what I was saying a few days ago when I said, look, I'm not interested in, well, was there enough fraud to change the outcome of the election? That's what they're trying to say. The left, those who want to keep Biden in the, uh, in the winner's circle, if you will. Well, there may have been fraud, but there might not, might not have been enough to change the outcome of the election. First of all, nobody knows that. If there was fraud in some places, you better believe there was fraud in a lot of places. But my analogy was taking a test or maybe taking a class. If you are taking a test and you get 95 questions spot on correct out of the 100 that there are, but on five of them you cheated, right? Five of them you needed to cheat to get the right answer, and you're caught cheating. If you're caught cheating, does that professor give you a 95 because of the 95 you got right without cheating? No. 
that professor gives you a zero because you cheated on your test. You you don't get to win when you cheat. And so if they cheated in a few states but not all of them, if they cheated in a few counties but not every county in a state, bottom line is if you cheat, you don't get to win. We either start this thing over again or we declare the other side the winner. If you cheat a little bit, you don't. It's it's like Barry Bonds. A lot of people, Barry Bonds was a Hall of Fame baseball player before he cheated with steroids, so therefore he should be in the Hall of Fame. No. The fact that he was a Hall of Famer without steroids for 10, 12 years doesn't negate the fact that he cheated for five or six years with steroids. You don't, you're, you're judged by the whole. The fact is you're a cheater, therefore you don't. Morality says you don't get to win. Mario in Mayfield Heights. Uh, Mario, go ahead. Hey, Bob. I haven't Mar- for a long time. Listen. Oh, is this Mario in Ascensi? <laughs> uh, I, I wish uh, I'd have known. I wish I'd have known that was you, Mario. I would have gotten to you a lot sooner, my friend. Listen to me. I hate doing this, but it's it's fifteen I, I seconds you. after the hour here. Yeah, and I got to get to Gallagher here. Call me tomorrow earlier in the show, brother. I want to talk to you. I, it's been way too long. And I certainly would love to talk to you again. Mario Nascenzi is a great patriot, working very hard for President Trump and for conservatives and for America. Call me tomorrow, Mario. We'll put you on the air. Everybody else, thanks for listening and being part of the show. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.